Welcome to another episode of the Swans Vlog Swanscast. Tonight, I'm joined by Stephen Park. He's from the Facebook group Road to Glory. Stephen, how are you? Very well, thank you, Justin, and yourself. Oh, I'm very well as well. It was. Um, it's been a very good weekend. What did you think? I thought it was actually quite an interesting weekend. I thought there was some interesting games, and I thought the Swans demonstrated their skills much better than what they've probably done for quite some time. I would agree to that. The first quarter, oh, I certainly wouldn't agree to that. No, it was a bit slow off the mark, wasn't it? Just a touch bit. Um, it, was, it was a bit interesting seeing the Suns have their best ever first quarter against us, but then it was uh, equally remarkable watching them have their worst second and third quarters against us. So while it wasn't a record low score, they weren't too far off it. No, that's right. What I am actually really worried about is that we consistently have these very slow starts. We seem to come across in the second, third and fourth quarters, but it is becoming a bit of a pattern that we seem to do. Yeah, and look, uh, one of the players came out on the weekend and said pretty much the same thing, that we can't keep having the slow starts if we want to play well against the Giants and you know hopefully beat them. So... Hoping next week we don't have that slow start, but it was very refreshing to see us actually kick accurate in front of goals again. That's true. But in saying that, remember what happened the last time we played the Giants? We kicked the first four goals in the yeah. first five minutes. Yeah, we did. But we never looked like uh, we didn't really look like we were going to win that game. I was no, never. probably about as shocked as anyone to see us kick the first four goals, and then not at all surprised to see the Giants take a, a ten-point quarter-time lead. So. Yeah, hopefully hopefully it's not a repeat of the same, but uh, I am seriously hoping for a win this weekend. I am too, Justin, definitely. All right, so uh, let's get straight into our heroes and villains of the week. Now, do you have a hero of the week? I do, and it is the red-headed ranger, Gary Rowan. What yes. a marvellous effort. I uh, agree, 100%. Um, career best tally in front of goals here was absolutely superb and it just makes you think what he could have done last week against the Demons if he'd actually kicked straight with those first three shots of goal. I agree totally. He's just turning into a complete player. He doesn't get a lot of possessions, but what he does with it is gold. Oh, yeah, totally. And there's a lot of discussion um, on Twitter, Facebook, Bigfooty and you know Red and White Online about what his best position is, and I've long argued that his best position is by far as almost as a full forward. Uh, he hasn't; he's not necessarily the big, you know, muscly type as you know, like a tippet is. But he's mm-hmm. very, very quick off the mark. He's quite typically very good mark overhead, and also very, very good chest mark. And his kicking is, you know, usually pretty accurate. So it's just fitness that's always held him back. That's right, and the surprising thing is he's actually the same height as what Tony Lockett was. Yeah, and it's not like he's you know Luke Parker one eighty six, but I mm. think I think he has that athleticism to really exploit defenses. And uh, when he played on Rance, he made a mark in, in that you know that comeback from behind win. So I'm really looking forward to him kicking on. Yes, me too. I actually think though that he's actually better suited as a swingman. I think he could actually do the Sam Reed role very, very well and actually float both ends as a running half back and then up into the forward line for half a quarter and then back down as a running half back. I think that would suit him perfectly. And it seems that uh, the coaching staff sort of share that perspective as well because he did start at halfback or on the halfback flank for the Tigers and Richmond, uh, Tigers and Essendon matches. Uh, he had a pretty good game against Tippett Wungie, um, McDonald, Tippett and Woody. And yep. he held him, he had almost zero influence for the game. And he had the pace to go with him all the time. And then he had that um, had that mistake and then he was swung into the forward line and you know marked that ball on the line and you know, the rest is history. But 
you're right, he does have that ability to go back into the back line and also contribute quite quite well back there as well. Yeah, that's right. So um, now for myself, to be honest, I would have to agree with your hero. Um, definitely going to go with Gary Rowan as well. <laughs> um, yeah, look, career best game, you can't really argue with that. And it's, it's almost like um, when... Sam Reid kicked those six goals earlier in the year. You just went, yeah, this is almost his level. You know, he's he had that peak back in 2012. You could see it coming, and now he's finally yeah, hit his traps. Right. And you could almost say the same for Rowan. You know, they they both followed an almost identical trajectory. Like they've been injury cursed, injury riddled, and they've spent at times an entire season off the field just injured. So um, it is fantastic having him back. Absolutely critical, I think, to our successes in the finals, as it was last couple of seasons, that he's at his best. And I think for us, he needs to play in the forward line. I agree. Um, I still don't know whether I'd say that he needs to play in the forward line. I reckon he can play at either end, but I think they need to use his valuable assets depending on the team they're playing. That's fair enough. I agree. Yeah. And because I look at it from the point of view of Richmond, he actually played, I think, the reason we did so well there, even though he came up in the forward line in the last five minutes, was he actually played on those small, fast guys and was able to keep pace with them. And because of his big body down there on those small, fast guys, he was able to make sure they didn't win the ball. Yes. Um, but then against um, Melbourne on the weekend, he was actually... Um, not Melbourne, Gold Coast, I mean, yep. sorry. He was actually able to use his speed up on the forward line because their defence is actually quite slow. Yes, it is. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, even though May um, stuck, to, stuck to Franklin a couple of times, um, they were really able to get mismatches against the Suns defenders as well and able to utilise both their pace, um, Franklin's and Rowan's pace against their slower defenders. So... Um, it was really it was really good to see him play that well. Now, yeah. do you have a villain of the week? I've actually got two villains Ooh, of the two week. Two villains, nice. Let's hear them. Yeah, okay. The first one is Josh Kennedy. And the reason I'm going to say he's villain of the week is... <laughs> Which one? Our Josh Kennedy. Oh, this ought to be good. Yeah. The reason he is actually going to be villain of the week is because... He's actually stuffed up what I was hoping would be a momentous weekend in both the Josh Kennedys having their 200th game together. Oh, of course. Yes, okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. I don't know yeah. if we can go too hard on him, but yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. That would have been one for the record books. It definitely would have, but other than that, there's nothing wrong with Josh Kennedy at all, <laughs> yeah. except for that. Now, who's your second villain? My second villain is probably one of my favourite players, and I think he's almost everyone's favourite player, and that's Buddy Franklin. Oh, okay. Yeah, I actually think, and um, there is actually major concerns this year, and but it's been throughout his entire career, on his kicking for goal. Yeah. When point. he's actually kicked 43 goals this year and 41 points, his accuracy is not great, and that concerns me. He's not a type of person that I would be relying on to win us a game, final sirens gone, and we're a point down, or, or five points down, maybe. He would even be worse. You never know, though. I mean, he is the kind of player that can really turn it on when we need it, and he has single-handedly won us games, and we wouldn't have won that Richmond game without him. There's no question yeah, about I... it. I agree with that, but it is a concern that his kicking accuracy, a 50% kicking accuracy a goal, is not great when he's your number one full forward. And if he'd have kicked those, think about if he'd have kicked another, say, 20 goals, how far in front he'd be in the Coleman medal. Not that that matters, but yeah. how much better we would have looked. Absolutely. And look, when I say Richmond, I actually mean the Essendon game, but that's a very good point because at one point he kicked four goals, 12, and then he followed mm. it up the next week with four goals, three. So he's kicked, at that point, that's 8 goals 15, when it should have been 15 goals 8. And he was mm. missing a lot of very gettable chances. His trademark sort of out out in front, forty five between 45, 55 metres on a slight angle that he'd normally hit 8, 9 times out of 10, and he was almost always missing them. That's right. 
the other concern is his direct um his kicking directly in front of goal is a major issue at the moment yeah it's um looking very very bad he um he seems to be on like to be able to kick goals when he really doesn't even have to think about it he just chucks on the boot and off it goes yeah that's true yeah cuz his set his set shot routine at the moment's a bit all out of whack but um which yeah. is which is strange, isn't it? Considering we've got the greatest full forward at the club for at the, currently this year. Well, apparently he was on holiday, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so off with the kids, off with the kids. So uh, it's it's funny because Longmire was saying that the reason why the Swans weren't converting as well was because they were taking shots from non-prime areas or areas where the chances were very low to actually score a goal from. But mm. it also coincided with the time that uh, Tony Lockett was also on holiday, so it's a bit of one on bit one and bit of the other. So um, yeah, I don't think you can always just blame it on the fact that they're pinging them from forty five meters directly out in front and missing because we should be scoring those. That's exactly right. Now, uh, hopefully, it improves. Yeah, absolutely, and we definitely need it to improve. Now, I know you've um, kind of given the Swans a bit of a whack. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my villain of the week is none other than Clayton Oliver. Clayton Oliver. Explain. Now, did you happen to catch the um, Demons Blues game? Yeah, I did. Now, he had a altercation with a fan uh, towards the end of the game, I think it was. And um, so the, the Carlton fan, he's a bit of a bit of a knob, but he's kind of put his hands up to stop him from running into him like try and stop him from, you know, flipping over the fence. And he's like, mm-hmm. has some very minor incidental, you know, almost like brushing his arms kind of contact and he's kind of yelled out weak to him. And Clayton Oliver's like, he's obviously yelled out weak after he started jogging away. Cause then he's turned around and came back. And according to the age, he is quoted as saying, he originally said was weak C-U-N-T, but obviously that's not what happened. He came back mm-hmm. and admitted that he only called him weak. And then Clayton Oliver's responded with, if you effing touch me again, I will kill you. Yeah, it's not a great look, is it, from an AFL footballer? No, it's not. And I ended up getting into a bit of a conversation with Scotty Cummings and um, a few other people on Twitter about it. And and I was sort of saying that it's not an appropriate thing. We shouldn't be just sort of dismissing this sort of behavior, you know, offhand and saying, you know, this is just, this happens, just let's move on. It happens, mm. shouldn't happen. This, you know, it's, we're not playing in the 40s anymore, the 40s or 50s. But at the same time, the Carlton player, he uh, had a dig and he got it coming back and he couldn't deal with it. So, mm. but look, he's 19 years old. He's um, made himself out to look like a bit of a tool over the last couple of weeks and he has not had a good four weeks, that's for sure. <laughs> No, because this is the same Clayton Oliver that had the uh, the argument with Damien Martin over Twitter, wasn't it? And the same Clayton Oliver that flopped about like a wet sack of potatoes. Mm. So, um, yeah, he's uh, not looking too good these days. No, that's for sure. Oh, well. Oh, I've got, I've got another um, villain as well, actually. Yeah? This one will be a, this will be a cracker for you. Sure, let's hear it. The, the crowd at the... Um, University of Tasmania Stadium on the weekend when the siren went and no one heard it because of the fact they were roaring so loud. <laughs> well, I read that there was an article uh, on AFL that there was not a repeat of Siren Gate again. So, geez, but how ironic would it have been if it was Port Adelaide and Hawthorne? No, Fre- Fremantle and Hawthorne Fre- once Fremantle again. Fremantle and Hawthorne. Fremantle and yeah, Hawthorne once exactly again. Right. That, would have been, that would have been hilarious. I would have loved it. Yes. It was a terrific ending to a, uh, a dismal game, that one. Well, apparently it was high quality. No, the last quarter was high quality. That's all right. Did you enjoy the game? The Swans weren't playing, so how could I enjoy it? <laughs> no, very good point, very good point. I know you Tasmanians, you don't get too much football down there these days, so you get to what you can get to. That's exactly right. All right, now let's have a bit of a chat about the Swans and the and the game on the weekend and... And how good it has been to get some of the senior players performing back close to their best, if not at their best, and just how important it has been for the Swans' own turnaround and form. So, on the weekend, we had Luke Parker as our top-ranked player. 
He had 29 disposals, 6 marks, 10 clearances, and 7 tackles. Now, that also goes with Gary Rowan, who had 16 disposals for 5 goals, but he also had 9 marks, 3 of them contested, and 4 of those marks, which which is, again, equaling his career-best numbers, 4 marks inside 50. And then also you got Dean Rampey. He was absolutely superb after quarter time. So it's been really good to have those players come back into some form. I agree. Um, I'm really surprised that Luke Parker didn't actually make it into the AFL's team of the week. What happened there? I believe David swallowed a fair bit more than he did. Oh, right. Yeah, well... The only difference is, is that um, David Swallow kicked the goal. That's the only thing that I can see that would have been different between Luke Parker and David Swallow. Well, I asked the question on Twitter, and mm-hmm. the differences in stats um, are quite low because apparently, according to Champion Data, Luke Parker went at about 50%, whereas David Swallow went at 70%, which isn't backed up at all in the AFL stats. Um, mm-hmm. Luke Parker has more center clearances. Uh, he also has higher rating in general. He has more marks. He has way more tackles and one more clearance. The only difference is uh, Swallow has a goal, whereas Parker has two. Mm. But also, apparently, he had four or five scoring involvements in Gold Coast's amazing score of seven goals, nine. So, Yeah. The, I'm wondering also, is it because... Uh, Swallows, the rest of Swallows' midfield was completely A for that week. They didn't have a midfield. Simple as that. No. So so I think maybe they're just trying to chuck him a bone, you know, give him a clap on the back for effort. But, uh, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, I was a bit bit, um, baffled when I asked that question on Twitter and I got back this kind of not quite right analysis and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to bother discussing that. Um but yeah, look, it was it was uh, really good. I will admit that I watched probably three quarters of the match through the bottom of a beer cup, and um, I was privy enough to go to the Redback function at the SEG on on Saturday afternoon. It was a fantastic event as well. So um, thank you very much, Big Footy, for for uh, providing me with tickets for that. That was a very good event. But yeah, it's, um, my recollection of the match isn't exactly uh, 100%. <laughs> so, oh, Justin, you've let yourself down. Oh, mate, I, I sunk at least five or six beers before halftime, so. <laughs> oh, well. So you didn't actually see the, uh, the good action then in the second half? Oh, I saw the action. Uh, I just have a bit of a haze. <laughs> All right. I do remember uh, Rowan kicking a bag. I remember Franklin kicking the first goal. Um, it was funny. So, up- hang on, that, that, they were all in the first half. Yeah, exactly. That's what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember laughing about halfway through the third quarter when I realized that Suns hadn't kicked a goal for two quarters and they hadn't even scored in a third quarter. So a bit of a funny one. But I um, put a, a post up um, after the match uh, when I... And this is also in the preview, where in the preview I had a look at the last five meetings between the two teams, and I suggested that the Gold Coast are going to have to do something incredible without their midfield to actually compete with the Swans. And um, they looked pretty good in that first quarter. Admittedly, the Swans just didn't look good in that first quarter. Yeah, I agree with that. They were a bit slow off the mark, weren't they? Yeah, and a bit sloppy. Uh, just looked like the midfield looked a bit headless without Kennedy and... You know, we can have a look at Hanabry's game, and it's disappointing. Um, 15 disposals, and only not even 80% total game time, so... Mm. His efficiency wasn't crash hot, was it? Uh, it's about 70%, but it never really is efficient. He did have no. um, 10 tackles, though, so he worked hard, and he was involved in, in play, and he had a couple inside 50s, but... He was just well down on his usual numbers. He almost had more kicks than handballs, so I think that just goes to show. Tell you what, I'm moving on from Hatterbury because he's just an all-out star. The one that I think we should talk about is Tom Papley. I can gush about his last couple of games because I'm going to be honest here. Um, I can't remember a single thing from the game that he did. Oh, really? Well, I'd actually say that I don't actually 
think I think he everyone keeps raving about Rampy and Rowan as being the turnaround, but I actually think it's since Papley came back into the team. I actually think the mongrel that he's given us has been the whole thing that has been the major turning point for us. Yeah, absolutely. He's had a couple of really good games playing as that forward flank come midfield player. Yeah. Uh, and that run that he provides, the tackling pressure, uh, he's not the biggest, he's not the tallest, but he gets stuck in no matter what, and he could tackle. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is a pretty damn good footballer. He is a very, very good footballer. And for a half-forward flanker to do what he does, up and down the ground is unbelievable. On the weekend, just his running capacity backwards and forwards was just phenomenal. Absolutely. Look, if you can believe this, he had five clearances Six tackles and one goal. Now, yeah. his disposal wasn't particularly great. He had four, four clangers, and his efficiency was probably just above 50%, but he had more contested possessions than uncontested possessions. Yeah. So he's taken that what, blame, what Ben McGlynn was to us, and he's gone to the next level with it. So whereas in years past, we've had Luke Parker in his infancy back in you know, between pretty much 2011 through to 2014, he was playing as that forward flanker forward midfield role. We've had Jude Bolton. Um, at times we had Brett Kirk. Um, it had plenty of players play it, but we haven't really had any better forwards than midfielders play on that forward flank. So it's good to see him play it. Yeah, I agree. And uh, another one we can talk about is Callum Mills. Now, yes. from my from my recollection, he did not look with it at all in that first half. He grew into the game, but he just looked like he probably shouldn't have even played. He still had 22 possessions, though, and um, only a couple of tackles, though. Yeah, look, he never really gets many tackles, mm. and he did get stuck in, so you can't really criticize him for that. And he had his usual rebound 50s. Um, but just at times his decision-making was a bit off and his skill execution was a bit off, especially in that first you know, quarter, quarter and a half. I mean, granted, the, the Swans weren't playing well, but I, I think he kind of was just another one, of those, um, another one of those players that just looked off, but given what happened the previous week, I think it was understandable. He grew into it, but... I'm actually surprised he even actually got up for the game. Yeah, me too. I would have thought that... Um, Look, I'm like Titus and I. We talked about this last week, and I completely agree with him that the AFL is going to have to come to um, at some point. They're going to have to come to a memorandum where teams have to give a, a player a week off after concussion. It's the only way to ensure that they won't actually further damage themselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. I look back on the careers of Brett Kirk and Jude Bolton, and how many times they got concussed and head knocks, and you just think, well, what's that going to do to their futures? like when they're in their 50s. Absolutely. And, like, we don't really know what happens to players 10, 15, 20 years after they retire. Um, I mean, all you've got to do is listen to any anything that Dermot Burton's on just to know how much damage it does. <laughs> That's a bit harsh, Justin. That's a bit harsh. Now, um, let's have a quick chat um, before we move on to the next thing about our contract rebels. Uh now, Zach Jones, he had a bit of a down night compared to his usual lofty standards, but granted, he copped a corky in the thigh of like oh, minutes within the start of the match. I'm not too surprised. Mm-hmm. He um, he finished with nine disposals and two goals, um, but he was uncharacteristically poor with the ball. Um, of the nine, he had four turnovers. So, <laughs> oh, well, that's four clangers. Would you say uncharacteristically poor? I'd actually say that although even when he was our star player early on in the season, I don't think he was great with his disposal efficiency even then. He was getting a lot of ball, but he wasn't doing much with it. No, he was hacking it and going long, and I think Mm. he was quite doing the same thing um, on Saturday. But again, he only had nine disposals, and four of them were clangers or like turnovers. So, and, And an ineffective kick is basically kicking it to an opposition. Yeah, that's right. So, with ball in hand, um, he had six kicks, and I reckon probably three or four of them were turnovers. He he wasn't good with the ball, except for those shots. Actually, I think those those uh, two goals won, I think, were the only effective kicks he had for the match. So, yeah, it has to be um, close to it. Close yeah, you're right. Yeah, and he had a goal assist, so... <laughs> um, it pretty, it's uh, pretty funny, that one. 
but then also um, Sam Reed, um, ten disposals, but only four marks. He had a humongous game in the ruck. He was terrific. He finished with a career high zero hitouts. <laughs> Uh, I thought he was superstar in Iraq to hopefully let's never see that shit again. Um, and just, just, he kicked um, one goal, one. Yeah, so I'm looking at I'm looking at the inside fifties column. So he got a goal at least, but this is just another one of those games where um, let's never see him in Iraq again. Yeah, but who else are we going to play there? Dean Towers again. Well, Dean Towers had one of his uh, one of his better games. He had a really good patch for about two and a half quarters where he was absolutely superb and he bagged himself two goals, two really good goals. And it was really good to see him play that well. Yeah, I agree. I thought he played really well. Yeah. And I thought he was stiff not to be among the better players on the ground. And like his contested possession count was, you know, not too far off his uncontested possession count. Um, yeah, he worked both ways, three tackles, two goals, and four inside 50. So he played that, that winger slash flanker um, role quite well. But uh, the main concern for me uh, was the zero impact that Sam Naismith had around the ground. Yes, that was uh, really poor, wasn't it? Three possessions for the game. And how many hitouts did he win? Oh, he won 31, but the um, Gold Coast, um, Jared Witts, Mm. dominated. He had 44, but I mean, Jared Witts also went up against Sam Reed and Sam Reed had none. So, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's disappointing. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's quite fit. Um, and his hit outs to advantages are usually a lot better than opposition teams. So I'm not too worried, but at the same time, if he, if he's not given anything around the ground, I mean, we might as well just go back to tip it and, and roll the dice, but I'd, I'd, I'd be saying Sinclair before Tibbet. Yeah, but speaking of which, uh, have you heard the news that apparently Tippett is available for selection and John Longmire, as you told me earlier, might actually select him? Yeah, that's correct. So that's the uh, the news going around at the moment is that uh, Kurt Tippett may be selected this week. I wonder if that's the case, who they are going to uh, get rid of because if is it going to be Sam Naismith and Tippett plays a lone hand in the ruck, maybe? Yeah, look, I I would say that the two obvious candidates to make way are Robinson and Florent. And look, Robinson came back for his first match. He was okay. He wasn't flash. Um, he butchered the ball a fair bit, even though he finished up with 14. But he just he just looked like he was a bit off the pace there. And Florent, again, I mean, he's a great kid, um, but... He's, it's the same argument that everyone's had for the whole season. He's just not AFL ready. So those two, uh, without a doubt, the two that will make way um, unless someone like Naismith or Reed is injured. Yeah. Whether or not Jones actually pulls up okay from his corky, he should do, but that's one of those you just never really know until the time actually comes. So the concern I'd have with that is, are we then going back to being too top-heavy in our forward line and in our team for that matter, because they they got rid of Sinclair and to bring in another small, and yep. which they did with McBay, which has seemed to have worked out really well. But do they want to then go back and have another big-bodied Ruckman slash forward in the team when we've been running teams ragged over the last couple of weeks realistically? Yeah, look, that's um, that's a good sort of thing to raise as well. Uh, it's a good question. And against the Giants, I don't really know. Um, they scramble really well defensively. Their midfielders get back and help them out quite well. So uh, maybe going tall is what the Swans' answer is to try to exploit those matchups um, because you know that Franklin's going to get Phil Davis. Um, Himmelberg should get a bigger player, but he's probably going to get Rowan. Um, And there's a bunch of other players in their defense who are good players and they've proven themselves. um, And maybe height is going to be the answer. I just sincerely hope that even if we do go a bit tall, we go back and we look at leads and we actually honor the leads rather than just going back to the dump kicks of old. So if we go tall and we go dump kicks, forget it. We're not winning the match. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. 
And we've beaten GWS before with a tall lineup. And the way that we've beaten them before is by emptying out the forward line and getting them back on the counter. So, um, yeah, look, uh, I dread Tippett coming back in from another injury without any kind of fitness and form behind him. And, yeah, I were, I, I can't really comprehend that pick if it ever happens. Nice. My, my concern is he was actually, before he got injured, he was actually dropped. And then yeah, he was. Now, they're, yep. now they're considering bringing him straight back in after he's healthy. I don't understand it. Look, unless um, unless Longmire and the coaching team is mistaking Tippett for Sinclair, who was best on ground in the reserves, I really don't know. Yeah. Um, look, I was there on Saturday and I watched the reserves, and I got to I got to say this: Sinclair was fantastic. He um, didn't get a ton of hitouts, mm-hmm. but. What he did around the ground and the way he contributed with five goals, mind you, was fantastic. Now, you look at the scoreline and you go, 136 to 29. Jeez, how bad a Gold Coast Suns. Now, to be honest, like the, the scoreline didn't really do them that much justice. They were pretty good for two and a half quarters. Uh, for most of the second quarter, the Swans scored two goals until about the 20-odd minute mark. And then they just went bang, 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 and the same happened. Same happened in the third quarter, um, towards the end. That again, they held them, and then the Swans just went bang at the end and piled on a. I think I think it was uh, four goals in the space of six minutes. So the the Suns were really, really competitive in the Nifl. Um mm-hmm. They just don't have a forward line to speak of. They've got no one there. Their their ruck was their best target, and he can't mark and he can't kick. So, um, yeah, look, we had Sinclair and Laidler amongst our best. We also had Aaliyah. He was rated as second best of field. Now, I probably wouldn't agree with that. I'd say Edwards was probably better than him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and also we had Fisher and Marsh as well playing quite well. Um, Arorden as well. Rose wasn't too bad. Ronke was okay. Murray was quite dashing off the halfback. So we've got a lot of players coming through the reserves that, you know, they're doing pretty well. Yeah. What's happened to the forgotten man? Which one? AJ. How'd he go? AJ, good question. Now, the first quarter, he played roughly two-thirds of it. Uh, He started on the ground on the wing, uh, and then he came off about 15 minutes into the game. And he finished with seven disposals, uh, three inside 50s, three tackles, and two marks. Right. And he had one clearance. So he did pretty well. Yeah, that's um, Fitness-wise, he won't play. I do not think he'll play seniors at all this year. He looks mm-hmm. a mile off. But uh, he does look pretty good. He was favoring his leg a little bit towards the end, but you can expect that given the fact he's barely played. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he when he was up and about early on, he looked really clean and crisp with the ball. So yeah, he's getting better. It's really good to watch him do that. That's good. And where's he playing? Is he playing forward, back, midfield? No, he's playing predominantly on the wing. So he gets yep. back uh, along the wing and helps back in defense. So that may well be the next position that he plays in um, because we do have very deep defense. And even if you look at the uh, reserves, we've got Laidler, Marsh, Aliyah, Maybaum, Murray, Talia. Uh, I mean, we could potentially lose some of these players out of defense uh, at the end of the year. It's not mm-hmm. totally out of the question. Um so how is uh, Talia going? How did he play on the weekend? He is the real forgotten man. He is a real forgotten man. That's who I thought you were talking about originally. <laughs> but uh, look, I had a good chat about that um, with a friend of mine, and we both came to the conclusion that he, it looks like it's his level. We just don't see him getting back into the team. Um, he wasn't amongst the best playing against a team that couldn't even score. So I mean, they got it they got it down there, but when you've got players like Marsh and Alira amongst the best players and Sinclair as the best of ground, um, it's a bit of a concern that uh he's not amongst those top players. So he didn't impress. He had, you know, a lot of disposals, but he turned it over. He got some marks, but he didn't get really get many. Uh he just 
he just didn't really imp- impress. Really, he looks yep. too slow. So right, I just I just don't see him um, making a return to the senior time uh, senior team. And you know, Maybaum looked pretty good as the fullback as well. So he's improving a lot, and he is the most likely replacement for Grundy rather than Talia. So yeah, yeah. Well, Talia's uh, out of contract at the end of the year, isn't he? I am not too sure when he's out of contract, if it's this year or next, but I would expect that he wouldn't be renewed. Right. He might be picked up by another team that needs defensive cover, but I don't think he's going to play another game for the Swans this season. If he's here at the Swans next year, I honestly think they're going to need an injury crisis because he's behind March, um, who's still contracted until next year. He's behind Laidler, who's contracted until next year. He's behind Ali, who's contracted until next year. Uh, Mayborn... We'll probably get a game before him. So, yeah, he, he's he's pretty much at the bottom of the pile. Yeah, long way down the pecking order. He's like seventh in line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's including the players already in the seniors. So, yeah, look, uh, reserves did well, and it was really good to see really good to see Johnson play. But it was also good to see some other ones as well, like Edwards and, and Mayborn and a couple of the younger ones. And... I think Edwards, once he gets in, he's going to add a bit of something to our team. Yep. And who do you reckon is going to be our next rising star from the, out oh. of the reserve side? Who's going to be? Who, who will it be? Someone we haven't seen yet. Well, I'll tell you what. We picked up Murray last year uh, with the way that he reads the play and dashes off half halfback flank, uh, and his pace is blistering. He may well be the next one. Um, oh. Colin O'Rourden as well. O'Rourden, he does some pretty good things. Um, and also Ronky. Ronky's a new one as well. So those three, in my opinion, will probably be the next ones. Um, Pink, who we picked up as a uh, age rookie last year, he's a bit of a project player. Yeah, he does yep. some okay things, but uh, I think he's still sort of you know getting better. But um, yeah, look, I, I think Murray may well be one of the next ones along with Arroden. Right. Well, that's good to know. I'll, I'll keep an eye out and see if you're right. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't think they're getting in this year unless there's um, an injury crisis, but oh, who knows. So uh, the rest of the weekend, though, worked out pretty well for the Swans. So we had the Dogs put in a laughably bad display on Friday night. Um, the commentators spent as much time as I possibly could pumping this game up. And then by about midway through the fourth quarter, they just started talking to each other. They didn't even pay attention to the game. I think Bruce McAvaney here was the main culprit. He just started asking the rest of the commentary team questions uh, about what they were doing and you know making jokes about other sort of things that were just not football related. And you could just tell that they'd lost interest in the match. And it was a pretty boring and dour game from the dogs really they got absolutely pumped in the second half i think it was uh, 10 or 11 goals at one point to none that's right do you actually blame the commentators for getting bored with that game i don't no i don't but like it's one of those things where i'd rather have them talk about the game maybe yes. If, yes. maybe do what the channel time channel nine team used to do at the cricket that if the game's boring you talk about stats you talk about yeah. something yeah. you talk about the players you don't Talk, you know, a bit of crap in the background about, you know, what Wayne Carey's doing on the weekend and what kind of pie he's going to eat. And who cares, man? I don't care. It's like it's like having Shane Warren talk about what pizza he's going to eat and what he's going to order. I don't, I don't care. I don't give a shit. It's not interesting. You know, throw some interesting stats. I mean, you used to do that, Bruce. You know, ten years ago, you used to be the stat mania. You know, you chuck in some nice little bits of info that no other channel and no other person had. And but now you just sound like a broken record trying to. Get off on the rest of the commentary team. Yeah, it's special. Speaking of that, let's move on to the next game. Hawthorne and the yep. Giants. Hawthorne and the Giants. Now, you were there. Um, I was there. It was a very, very interesting game, I must say. Yeah. Um, I thought the Giants were going to run away with it. Um, it was a beautiful day in, in Onceston. I was very surprised. It was all warm, dressed up and all ready to be nice and hot, and then I had to strip down. Because I into my I had to take my swans gear off that I had. I only left with my top on that I had. But I must say there was probably more swan supporters there at the game than what there was GWS Giants fans, which is a <laughs> sad, sad display for those Giants. The yeah. Hawks did come out firing though. They were 
like the old Hawthorne. They did look really, really good. They were hard. Yep. They were aggressive. They were competitive. The Giants are actually quite soft. They can't handle any pressure. There is no physical pressure. As soon as they're under physical pressure, they lost it. Take a look at the last five minutes of the game. There's no way that Hawthorne should have been able to pile on 13 points like they did in that time and could have had won the game if the umpire blew the whistle a split second later. I can't yeah, exactly. Justin. Oh, look... Um... They're very gettable at the moment, and a lot of people have been talking about their injury list. And, you know, they don't really have that many players out injured. Um, But the one thing that they've always done is they've always gone out and intimidated teams. But you're right, whenever teams have intimidated them, they've, you know, gone to water. So it was a a pretty funny result being at the the SCG and having a look at the phone and seeing a draw. To be honest, I thought it was great. Yeah, I agree. It was a terrific uh, ending to a game, and it was great for us because it means that we've still got that little bit of buffer on Hawthorne as well. Exactly, yeah. Now, um, Nathan Buckley's coaching career is basically done with his loss to Essendon on the weekend, and um, the Bombers did him in by six goals. Yeah, but have you heard Gary Pert come out today and say that Nathan Buckley's career is safe until the end of the season? And that's when the review will be completed. Oh, yeah, but how many times have we heard that before? Uh, if you if you follow enough uh, English Premier League or soccer, that's what they all do. Oh, you're safe until the end of the season, and then like two days later, get out. So yeah, look, he'll be there until the end of the season. I've got no doubt about that. But I don't think he's going to be there a minute longer. No, I don't think so either. And I reckon he already knows. I reckon he's been told already. Oh, you could see it in the post-match. He knew in the post-match. He knew that was like the end of it. Um, and then we had, I'm not even going to talk about the Cats-Lions because that was just a one-way game. That was always going to yeah. be one way. Now, let's, right. have a quick, right. let's have a quick chat about the best result of the weekend, the most hilarious result of the weekend, the Saints absolutely killing the Tigers. Yeah, I'm really happy about this, and I'm really, really grateful for Nick Rewald, to be honest. Um, Matty's match... And um, the fact that the Saints have come out and done that, Tim Membry's been suspended for two weeks, which is even better for us. Um, but, yeah, Richmond, Damien Hardwick, one coach I cannot stand. I don't know how this guy he, is still employed. Me either. I just don't get it. For the team that he's actually got, he should they should have done a lot better over the previous four years. They are showing glimpses this year, but, God, they just fall in a heap. Anytime there's pressure put on them. I just thought it was brilliant that they had, I think, one or two goals up at halftime and the Saints had already built up an 80-point lead or just about, so. Yeah, that's exactly right. I was watching the game and just having a laugh because there was absolutely no opposition. Saints were just getting the ball and going forward without any pressure. How did our old man Nan Curvis go this time? With them getting smashed by 80 points, I can't imagine he did too well. He's still got 13 possessions, though. So he didn't yeah. do too bad. Don't know how many hitouts he had though, but I still have a soft spot for Toby Nankervis considering he's a Tassie boy. And then we had Fremantle rescuing their game, almost losing a game on the weekend as well. So they were well up against North Melbourne earlier in the game, and uh, North Melbourne came back, but they clutched it at the end, four points. Yes, that's right. It just stokes the fire of. You know, North Melbourne shouldn't be where they are, and I think there's um, a ring of truth to it because they've lost quite a few close games, and they have been quite competitive, but they are, I believe, second last on the ladder. Yes, they are second last on the ladder, but with a pretty good percentage, mind you. That's right. They haven't been blown out of the water at all this year, which has been surprising to me. No, but they're on a horror run. They've... um, Got five losses in a row when they're facing Port, so it's not going to get any easier for them. No. And what do you think about the rumour of um, Toddy Goldstein, the Swans are going to chase him? I know which one you're talking about. That one's a bit of clickbait, but I had this conversation maybe or maybe six weeks ago, yeah, when um, when Swans and Ruse played back at Etihad. Uh, I had this conversation with a friend of mine who's a North Melbourne supporter, and I said, oh, look, if Goldstein was ever up and the Swans could afford him, I think they'd take him. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we'd have to give up something for him. And, I mean, you'd obviously give up Tippett, but 
yeah, it's all, it's a risk. It's a bit of a Peter Everett risk. So that's right. Well, what about a straight swap? Uh, Tippett for Goldstein. Yeah, I don't think they'd do it. <laughs> they're, they're, both, they're, both, they're both on the same contract, uh, sort of contract numbers, so why not? We might, we might have to throw in Hanbury or Parker. <laughs> yeah, we might have to. <laughs> Just to get him off our books. Yeah. Uh, and then um, we had West Coast getting absolutely thrashed by Port Adelaide. Um, now... That one's that one wasn't a great one for us, and the reason why it wasn't a great one for us was because if West Coast won, it would have kept us within touching distance of top four. Now mm-hmm. we're sitting on eight seven, Port Adelaide sitting on nine six, and West Coast sitting on eight seven. Now the thing is, Port Adelaide have a percentage of one hundred and thirty two, which is the second highest in the league. Mm. So. If we want to finish top four, which is highly unlikely, and wait, there's about a maybe ten percent or less chance of it happening, um, we have to win basically every game from here on in, and pray that Port Adelaide drops a few. They play Adelaide at least um, in the Derby showdown, I think round twenty-two. So you know, there's a chance it'll happen. Yeah, I'm still, I, I'm still wouldn't even be convinced that we're actually going to make the eight, let alone. Uh, make the top four at this particular point. It's great that we're there, and it's great that we've had a massive fight back, but I'm still really concerned that we've still got to play GWS, Adelaide, Geelong, Fremantle over there. We've got a tough run. Um, Look, it's we've beaten them all there. We've beaten them at all those grounds. So we do have a pretty good run against Geelong. We've beaten them the last two times at Skilled. Yep. We've beaten Hawthorne yep. the last three or four times at the MCG. Uh, our, basically, the only team we don't have a good record against is GWS. So you're right. We still have to play Fremantle, Carlton, St. Kilda, GWS, Hawthorne, Geelong, and Adelaide. So yep. it's it's a tough run. It's probably one of the toughest coming in. Um, Adelaide and Geelong also have pretty difficult runs in. So, but yeah, look, uh, I was a bit filthy that Carlton didn't finish off the match on the weekend. They should have, uh, they were definitely the better team. So yeah, they were the better team. Just not good enough. Um, and had they won, that would have actually pushed us up to, um, sixth, I believe. No, seventh. And, yeah, it would have pushed us up to seventh. So, look, that's all right. We finished in the eighth for the first time this season, so that's a very good start. That's right. Just before we move on, I just want to throw out a, a shout-out to my old mate Brendan Bolton on how good a job he's done with Carlton because they basically were a basket case when he took over, and look what he's done. And they are still a very young side, but they are improving heaps. They are, and they've been really impressive the last couple of seasons, I think. Um, one of the big turnarounds for them has been the form of Casbolt, but also um, Liam Jones. Yes, I agree. Liam Jones has turned it on, hasn't he? From a, a forward, who a very poor forward, to a dashing defender has been an awesome move. It's almost a bit like uh, Richard's, like the way he's been able to been able to adapt to his new role. But look, uh, I just hope that they don't play too well against us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's hope not. Yeah, exactly. Let's hope that we can actually turn up. Um, so, on the weekend, um, Fox Footy had a stat that came up that had us over the last five rounds. We are the form team, which is a bit of a funny one actually, because when uh, we played the Saints, we were the one of the form teams at that point. Like uh, I think we we're on like a th- two run. Two uh, two game run and Saints were, I think three and two or something. They were in a pretty good uh, run of form, and um, after this weekend, it's still going to be basically the two form teams playing. Um, GWS, I think, are one wins from the last five. Saints are four and one. We're five and zip. But the most impressive thing is over the last five games, we're also over one hundred and fifty percent. Wow. I didn't realise that. Yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty amazing just how good we're going. Um, now it's pretty easy to forget that we also thrashed the dogs at the start of the mm. bye after the bye because we've had the really close games against Richmond and Essendon. It's pretty easy to forget the fact that we played the dogs as well. 
Yeah, and also because they're travelling so bad. So just, just on that, just imagine if we'd have actually been able to kick straight against Richmond and Essendon. I know, and we almost shot ourselves in the foot against Essendon. Um, uh, if we lost that game, it would have been just as just for how bad we were. And wow, I mean, like that game should have been out of sight in three in the third quarter. We should have been up by eight nine goals, easy. Yeah, that's right. We weren't. They came back. They scared us, and you know we we showed some uh, bit of guile and a bit of guts to get over the line. But uh, more impressively, is the fact that over the last nine games we are the form team by a mile. Yeah, we've gone eight eight and one, and we're just about one hundred and fifty percent over the last nine games. So, oh man, that Hawthorne game. We should be nine wins from nine, but can't complain. No, so. No. We let, we let ourselves down in that game. Hawthorne didn't beat us. We beat ourselves. Yes, yes, we did. Now, we've still got enough uh, games to go left in this season. We've got round 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Now, if we... This is another amazing thing. If we actually win the next seven games, we will equal our club record win streak for the third time this decade. Really? Now, that is an amazing statistic. Yep. So, 12 wins. Uh, we can do it. <laughs> it's going to be absolutely absurd if we do it. It will be very good, though. Now, um, we've got the Giants coming up this weekend. Yes. And they are not in a very good patch of form. Um, but against us, that is another matter altogether. So, we played them earlier this season. We talked about it before. We had the first four goals of the match. That's right. We kicked three points up after then until until half time. Um, so we kicked the first. I think it was twenty five to one at one point, and then they kicked basically nine goals, six to three behinds. So they blew us out of the water in that first half. Um, in the in the game last year in the qualifying final. Um, we we went really like that first quarter was tight, but then we um, had two players out of the match pretty much at the end of the first quarter, so we were never going to win that, and we dropped that one by forty two and or thirty six rather. And then uh, round twelve again last year was when um, Kurt Tippett's hamstring blew up. <laughs> Amazing, Matt. Yes, it it um, took him out for. Um, Eight or nine, eight weeks. So that was when he was playing uh, career best, and yeah, it, it goes to show because we uh, skied downhill something shocking after then. So yeah, look out. The last three times we played him, our losing margin is forty points average. So uh, we got we are going to have to turn things around. I think though we're in a good sort of vein of form at the moment, uh, and they aren't. So that's a benefit for us. But they do get Green and Johnson back this week. So. And the concern is, everyone said they were going to come out fit and firing after the first draw. Now they've had two in a row. The second one was an aberration because they were playing yep. in Tassie, which is, you know, they've played there twice before, and once in Hobart and once in Launceston. It's completely different down in grounds that you don't know. When you're playing on your home deck, after two buys, I'd be worried. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, um, they they haven't looked great. They had their chances to win the game. Um, they were leading a couple times in the game, and as you said, they were four goals up, and then the Hawks just... Uh, sorry, the Hawks were four goals up, and then they came back, and they led by a couple of goals, and then the Hawks got them back, so... And the same happened um, last week, you know, they were leading, and then... Just yeah. not good enough. Uh, so if we have a look at some of the lineups, um, Phil Davis is. I really, really hope that Tippett doesn't play, but I can see why they might think about Tippett, and it's to try and get the match up on Phil Davis to try and get Franklin away from Phil from uh, Phil Davis, and that might mean that someone like um, Tomlinson will probably roll on to Franklin, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe Wilson will go to Rowan 
or they might shuffle them around depending um, because that also might force them into a bit of a shuffle in defense as well because um, then you're going to have Heath Shaw's going to play on Hewitt um, Aiden Core might play on someone like Papley or Jack uh, Haynes will go to whoever is tall down there so that's a read so I can see why they're thinking about Tippett I'd rather them go Sinclair or maybe just not not at all Yes, I agree. I, I don't know whether that's a good idea. I really don't. I don't know whether they should put Tippett in. Yeah, look, um, they went tall last last week. They had Lobb and Patton in the forward line mixed in with Cameron. So, you know, it didn't work out goal-wise. They didn't kick a winning score, and they just kicked over 11 goals. So, just have a... No, sorry, my bad. They kicked 15 goals, 7. So tall lineup, but they could, still couldn't get a winning score. Yeah, that's right. And it was the previous week that they only scored um, 70-odd as well. So, or 68, 10 goals, 8 each. Mm. And that was on their home patch. And the thing was, um, both Heath Shaw and Jeremy Cameron had shockers on Saturday. They were basically abysmal. Um in saying that, though, Patton was a dominator. His physical strength is something that I think Grundy or Rampy are going to have major issues with. He's just like a man mountain. Yeah, but uh, Grundy's kept him goalless nearly every single time he's played against him, and he was probably one of the best players in that final last year where he kept him to almost donuts across the board. Yeah, he didn't kick yeah. a goal on him. I th- I think Grundy for the final series considered like one goal, uh, while Rampy had probably his worst game of the season against Cameron that final as well. Yeah. Just did not have a good game. It wasn't that Cameron was off the leash. He just was pretty poor, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be an interesting one about what we actually do about that. Um, the risk is if we go too small, uh, if, if we go too small, um, they're going to intercept us because we kind of have the hack kicking kind of play. But if we go too tall, we're going to lose a bit of pace around the ground. Um, so I suspect that the only change will be Kennedy will come in for Robinson. Yeah. And yeah. I think that might be the only change uh, and they might stick with Florent and try and get Florent onto shore and just try and rotate on shore and try and expose him yeah. get him one out yeah. get him get him defending because he's only, a great yeah. rebound defender but he's not a great defender yeah the only other choice that I would be considering in all honesty is um, actually taking bringing Naismith out and bringing Sinclair in the only reason I'd say that is I don't think Naismith is going to beat Mumford in the ruck anyway but I think Sinclair around the ground is has got the physical strength to compete with Mumford. I'm not sure Nate Smith does. And in their outings that they've had against each other, Mumford just ragdolls him. Yeah, I would be loath to put Tippett into a team up into a team lineup against uh, Mumford. It's just the last couple of times he's played against Mumford, he has been physically dominated. So, yeah. I, Naismith doesn't let himself get pushed around too easily, and he held his own really well in earlier in the season against him. Mm-hmm. But he has shown previously that he can play well against him. Yeah. It's just I, I I agree that we just need to sort of pick one and stick with him. Uh, and Naismith he hasn't had great stats in recent times, and Sinclair's actually looked really good when he's the only rock in the team. Um, yeah. So, yeah, look, it might be a time to just sort of bite the bullet, let them have the rock but try and get a little bit extra around the ground and up up in the forward line because, look, uh, Mumford offers almost nothing in the forward line for them. And That's right. Rory, That's Lobb, right. Rory Lobb doesn't do a lot of work forward either for him. He's just tall and he moves around the ground a little bit. Yeah. Well, considering Mumford averages two kicks a game or something ridiculous like that and five hand passes, he doesn't do a lot. I know. No, he gets the eight tackles, though. So, and they're yeah. always ragdoll tackles. Yeah, that's right. See, whereas that's what Sinclair does. He he only gets, you know, your your two or three kicks and your your five or six hand passes. But he gets a lot of tackles though. He gets heaps and heaps of tackles. And clearances. He actually gets nearly as much as nearly as many clearances as the top uh, midfielders in the Swan side do as well. So yeah. he's regularly I think he's averaging about four or five clearances a game at the moment. So um 
he's, I wouldn't say he's like another midfielder, but he is quite athletic around the ground. So I think he offers something a bit of a different threat. So, you know, who would have thought last year we'd go, yeah, Sinclair, let's get him in the team against the Giants. Yeah, that's right. Who, who would have thought, considering we're all saying, I remember last year we need to drop Sinclair, or even earlier this year, we need to drop Sinclair because he can't mark, he can't kick, blah, 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 blah. Now we were singing his praises. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think we've just kind of gotten to the point where we've gone, you know what, we actually looked a bit better with him in the team. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's going to be an interesting one for us, um, how we're going to match up. So, you know, we've done well over the last five games, over the last nine games especially. So I think the coaches know what they're doing. Um, this is the absolute must-win match. Uh, if we want to finish high in the finals, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, we have to win this match. There's no choice. We can potentially drop matches against Geelong and Adelaide later on in the season, but we can't be dropping three games because that puts us at serious risk of sliding out. That's 12 and 10 for the season. So at worst, we really need to be, was it 14-8, 13-9? So, yeah, that's right. 12-10 is just not going to cut it. We need to beat one or two. Two's preferable, but at least one or two of the top three, GWS, Adelaide, or Geelong. We need to beat, we know, I'd say, two of them. The issue is all of them are away. Yeah, and also Hawthorne at the MCG. Yeah. At least we have St Kilda, Carlton, and Fremantle at home. But again, St Kilda in the eight. So you have a, you have a look. So this is basically the... The positions as they stand this round that we need to play. First, 2nd, 3rd, 7th, 12th, 13th, and 16th. Yeah. So we've still yep. got to play three of the top four and four finalists. So, because there's no way St. Kilda's dropping out, not unless Richmond have a sudden turnaround form. Yeah, I think the danger, I think the danger team is Essendon. Have a look at their draw. They don't play. I don't think they play anyone in the top eight for the rest of the season. I think I actually had them sneaking in or getting really close. So mm. they are their own worst enemy. And yes. I wouldn't want to play them in a final. I'd be confident of beating them, and I know mm-hmm. we can beat them. I just really wouldn't want to play them um, just because they can yep. exploit teams with their pace. Uh, and they've had some pretty big wins as well when they've done it, when they got it right. All right. So... Um, yeah, I, I really do hope we win this match. Um, we need to win it more than any other match, I think, this this year. Now we move into our good call and bad call from last week. So the predictions last week, we had our special guest on, Titus O'Reilly. Now, he actually, his, his predictions um, are almost perfect. Now, he had the Bulldogs lose and they're out of the finals. Yep, that's a big tick. Ding for that one, and um, the commentators were saying it during the game. You know, oh, the dogs lose this; they're out of the finals. They never really looked like they were going to win that game from the first bounce, regardless how close it was in the first half. Now he tipped a Hawks upset. <laughs> a draw is almost an upset, but nah. Sadly, and sadly, I know. And uh, he had a Bombers win. That's uh, a big tick there. Now. I kind of went out on the limb here, mm-hmm. and um, I had lines by less than the goal. <laughs> that was a big, big risk, that one. Oh, that one was a big, big miss. Um, and then I'm trying to read my handwriting <laughs> for the next one, which just looks like a mess. Light and a loss. Oh, I don't even know what that is. I'm just going to cross it off. <laughs> but I did have St. Kilda beating Richmond. Oh, well, that's pretty good. Yeah, big tick there. Uh, I still laugh every time I look at the scoreboard. I mean, it was almost as good as looking at Hawthorne's. What, they have one goal against Port Adelaide at halftime and none in the first quarter? Yes, sadly. I love the memes that came out of that. Now, uh, have you got three predictions? Three predictions. Okay. Yes, for this round, the Gold Coast Suns will beat Collingwood by 60-odd points, and Nathan Buckley will resign. Wow. That is my prediction. My second prediction 
that that's going to cause the internet to go into meltdown, you know. Yes, I think that's what's going to happen, though. My second prediction is the Western Bulldogs will come out and they'll look very good early on against Carlton, and Carlton will win in a thriller, I reckon, by about three to five points. Yep. And my third one is that North Melbourne will get over the top of Port Power. Ooh, 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 ooh. Now, that is an interesting prediction because they're playing at Adelaide Oval. That's exactly right. Well, Port Adelaide, I don't know, I don't know what to make of them. They're a conundrum. They are. They, they're up and down each week, so I just think... They're not beating any of the top teams. They're smashing all the lower teams. From the top of my mind, I remember that they got pumped by the Tigers. Absolutely pumped. Uh, they lost a... Did they beat Adelaide early in the season? They did, yep. They did, yep. I think they uh, lost to the Giants if they played them. I think they've lost to most of the other teams around them as well. So, yeah, look, that, that one's um, risky. Now, um, my three predictions of the round. Now, I am going to go with Swans by five goals. Swans by five goals? Yep. That's an interesting prediction. Spotless is going to be red and white all over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I'm just having a bit of a, a quick quick look at the fixture. I reckon Fremantle is going to win. Fremantle. I agree with that one, actually. They haven't looked too bad, but West Coast have, to be honest, West Coast are playing above their level for most of the season. They they are not a top eight team. No, they might think right. they're a top eight team. They are nowhere near a top eight team. We went over there when we were pretty much in our worst form since I can remember, and we almost won the match. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're singing their praises, and you're kind of watching us play, just going, nah, not even close. Um, and... This is an interesting one, but I've got Melbourne to do the double over Adelaide. I was actually just about to say that and ask, could I do a fourth prediction? Because I actually think Melbourne would get over Adelaide because it's in Canberra. Well, Cairns is Cairns, Cairns, isn't it? One of the books. Nope. It's in Darwin. Darwin. I knew it was somewhere out there. Now, you'd expect Adelaide to be a bit more um, prepared for the heat, but you never really know. (laughs) No, that's right. Well, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on board tonight. It's been great having you on. Thank you, Justin. It's been a pleasure, and I hope we can do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. And remember, guys, you can stay in touch with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can contact us with the tag, the Swans blog. You can also drop your questions and comments for the next show using the hashtag SwansCast. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, go Swans. Go Bloods.